shows that nothing imperfect should not be cleansed and dealt with when standing before a holy God. And I love the fact that, and then when a new, when there's an ordination, when there's a new priest, a new high priest, that that ordination happens for seven days. Uh, there's a consecration that happens over the priest for seven days. To see, to see this priest actually doing the things that he, was, that he usually does, but it's happening to him every day, almost as it were, to, to, to encourage the people who are watching this new figure, seeing how needy he is as he stands before the presence of God. And then it ends, and I will read uh, maybe verse 38 uh, through 46. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year, old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Verse 40. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a uh, fourth of hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. For a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Verse 42, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar. Aaron also his sons, I will consecrate to serve as my priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. If you are, you know, if we were to do a, this has been a rough week for me, so I didn't have a scripture memory for you guys. And obviously uh, that we just have text. Um, that would be a very serious text I would circle. The point is, is God is, is wanting to make this clear that uh, I will be, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, and they shall know, verse 46, that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt and that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The goal of verses 38 through 46, which I, as it was, would say, was happening throughout the text, the goal of the covenant, I will be your God, that he is with us and we are with him. Is what he desires. So, so the focus in chapter 28 was, and now we have the focus here uh, being ritual. Um, this chapter prescribes the regulations of proper consecration, of ordination of the priests. Um, I mean, you got, you got washing rituals here. You got sacrifices. You got animals. You got uh, bulls sacrifice. You got ram sacrifice. Um, this ceremony graphically illustrates the principle of the necessity for blood consecration. So we see the sense of like blood is needed in order for this atonement to happen. Atonement meaning to, um, uh, to make amends for it, to make right, to uh, this atonement for it to, for it to happen, the purification to happen. And so what's the point? Why is, it, why, is it, why is the author doing all of this? Why is he saying all this? I would say what he's trying to communicate are a few, are a few things. First, I think the main reason, and I'm going to start with this, and then I want to end with this more pragmatically. When I look at this text, and when you read through chapter 29, considering the fact uh, that 28 was all about the adorning 
of the priests and almost as it were the lifting up of the priests and God sort of pointing to them as a people who are taking care and standing in the gap for the people of Israel as a representative. Then you get to the next chapter and he absolutely begins to show you and me, which is the first point, the total inadequacy of the priests. Their total inadequacy. See, I think that's a beautiful thing that he does that. That you move from chapter one where they're adorned with all these jewels and they are literally, the jewels are saying that, they're, that the heart of the 12 tribes are on the priests and they are going before this holy God and they're standing in the gap as a representative. But then in the next chapter, God wants to remind all of us again and again that guess what? The priests are just as jacked up. What's going on, big Corey? It's all right. We family. I don't want us to miss this. The priests, that the priests are just as needy, are just as broken, are just as insufficient and inadequate as you and me. And that we all, we all need this grace to stand before a holy God. Right? And the reason why that's it's so, the reason why that's so important, I mean, you, you think about the, uh, the, and I've gone over this over and over again, the Christological importance here or the significance. And I use that word. What that means is basically how you find Jesus in this passage. Like what, what, where, when you look at this passage, it should be really clear. How do we see Christ here? And, but I want to say there's a beautiful foreshadowing, right? We see it because we see all these sacrifices foreshadowing this forgiveness uh, that comes by blood. Right? And that's why when you look at this passage and you see that I mean, even the priests have to go through this uh, and that, that what they were doing for the people of Israel as they were being consecrated for God was awesome, but it was only temporary, was a foreshadowing of what actually Christ was going to do for us. That's why when you look at verses like Hebrews chapter 10, where he tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then you look earlier than that where he says, well, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That all makes sense. You go, oh, okay. And we kind of we get this. We kind of go, yeah, I, I, I know that when I see the, all the shedding, you know, and we've talked about it week after week after, and I talked about the seriousness of worship, and I've shared how you see these sacrifices happening, and what they should do is they should remind you of the gospel, is that these sacrifices are happening, but these sacrifices are temporary, and these sacrifices cannot be long-lasting because, as it says in Hebrews, they're of bull and of goats. But yet, the beauty of that is that it should point us to Christ, so as we look at in Hebrews, and we look at the life of Jesus as his sacrifice is perfect. His sacrifice is once and for all time, for all sin, forever. And so it should point us to that reality and, and it should help us see that, oh, okay. So even this beautiful, these beautiful priests are inadequate. God has to cleanse them too in order for them to even get into the presence to do what they should do for us. And all of that is just a foreshadowing of a person who does all of that once. For all time. So we've talked about that over and over again. And, I, and sometimes as I'm thinking about the beauty of the gospel, I'm like, well, I know they've heard this before. And I know we said it last week. But should I say it again? Yeah, absolutely. I got to. If I'm going to be faithful, I got to preach the gospel. May I say this? You know, I was convicted when uh, I was talking to my kids last night. I'm, I'm, I'm heading on a trip this week. And... Uh, I, I, we sat, we're sitting down. I said, hey, guys, 
tell me what is um, what is the gospel? You know, and they said, well, what do you mean? What's the gospel? I said, well, that's my question. If someone to say to you, what is the gospel? What would you say? And, uh, and so then they, you know, they, they did the good. They did, they, they did okay. You know, they, they talked, I mean, they gave me the gospel narrative. Uh, and then we made some jokes and Eli, he's our, our, our resident, you know, comedian. And when I told him the gospel, um, it means good news. Then he, what did he say? He was like, oh, so then I can say to the boys, I can run in the room and go gospel. We can play. We, you know. I was like, well, like, I wouldn't use it like that because it's the good news. It's not another word for good news. So, um, but uh, I bring it up to say, you know, when, I, when you look at this passage, my, our dream is for everyone in our local body to be able to clearly look at Bible passages and see Jesus. To be able to clearly, for someone to say, hey, so tell me, how would you see the gospel in, in Exodus 29? And, 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 I, and we want you to be able to look at that, and you should be able to say, oh, because, see, right now, these people are, because of sin, they're imperfect. And, and God was gracious in providing them as representatives. And the only reason they're representatives is nothing named them, but because he chose them. And then out of that group, he then chooses a, a group out of that group of priests to actually be a representative for the whole group. And then that whole group was supposed to love and adore God. And then the world would see that. And then God would point them to him. And then God would be exalted. But instead that, but you see, and so these things that were happening, all these sacrifices, because God is so holy, right, that, that we had to, they had to go and do all of these specific things to make sure that before they stand before a holy God, they had to make sure that first he had chosen them, so there was anointing, and they had to make sure that they were washed, and so there was cleansing, and he had to make sure that their sin was atoned for, so there was a shedding of blood. But what's interesting is they had to keep doing this. They had to have sacrifices daily and weekly and monthly and yearly for 1,500 years. Why? Because those sacrifices were still imperfect in that they were temporary. They didn't last long. They didn't accomplish the full purpose of making us one with God. And so God in his mercy did this, and then he was even more merciful. And that's why Jesus came our rescuer, to be our final, our perfect lamb, our perfect bull, to be our perfect sacrifice so that now in faith we can be fully cleansed, we can be given righteousness from him, we can be anointed by him. That's good news. That sin did not destroy us Because God was merciful to send a rescuer. And that now I can be repentant of my sin. I can have my sins forgiven just as they would put their hand on the bull as they would send it out to outside the camp. It talks about in verse 10. And those sins now went out. Now I, in faith, what I do is I don't have to find a bull. I put my faith in Christ. 
And guess what? My, my sins are washed by his blood. Can every one of us share the gospel through this passage? If I was to ask you, what is the gospel? Would you be able to tell me clearly what the gospel is? That's not a trick question. That's not a, a shame question. This is real. And it's not a question of intellect. I told my boys, I don't care if you get the question right. Because that's what this passage is about. We're going to continue on. It's about the heart. And I said, I would hate guys if I was to get on this plane and not come back. And you have not had an opportunity to deeply consider where you are in your walk with Jesus on my watch. And they kind of actually kind of start crying. Um, some of you might think that's heavy, but this is, this is real. And I'm not expected to be here tomorrow. Um, and, um, and, and Joel said, well, what do, you, what do you mean by you're not coming back? And I share, you know, sometimes things happen, you know. I mean, I, I, planes are safer than cars, but yet, I don't know. Um, that's not to get you down and out. But man, I want this body, I want us to know the gospel. I don't want you being in our local body and if someone says, tell me about Jesus and you do Bible baffle where you just start talking about Bible verses until you run out of Bible verses. I want you to clearly be able to say, oh, the gospel is that there is a loving God and that he loved us enough to create us, but then we, we had the audacity to be our own gods and be separated and say, no, we're going to do our own thing and we sin and God could have destroyed us. But he didn't. The good news is instead of destroying us, he sent a rescuer. The good news is that actually I can be reunited with God and know and experience his love and be on that new trajectory of the life he had for me even before the fall. That's the good news is I don't have to die separated from God, but I can be reunited with him by faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We can know and experience his love. Is that the Lion of Judah is truly the Lamb that was slain. That's what's happening in this text here, guys. That's the main thing. It's this pointing to Jesus, our Savior. Okay? That's the Christian hope. That the sacrifice, the final sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice has been offered in Jesus. There's no more animal sacrifices they found their fulfillment in Jesus. There's forgiveness of sins. <laughs> no continuing sacrifice. Just, just once, for, once and all for Jesus. Here's a, here's a few more takeaways, and then we're going to continue to worship. Uh, the supremacy of God. In this text here, again, you've been spared. You, I want to walk through the whole text. But the, the supremacy of God is so clear here. Here's the thing. I, I read the last few texts because I think that's where it shows the supremacy of God. See, you got to keep in mind, this is happening in history, and so polytheism is normal. I mean, it was so normal. Actually, just like today, I mean, I, I talk to so many Christians, and we say we, we love Jesus, and we actually we love Jesus, but because our culture is so weird, we're still, like, superstitious. You know what I'm saying? We're still doing horoscopes. You know what I'm saying? Still watching Montel. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're doing... You know what I'm saying? 
Like, and, and we don't even see how those are like, those are like just diametrically opposed. Right? And so what God does, and, I, and this, is, this is more, uh, this is not theology here. Well, I'll, so what God is doing is in this text, it's almost like all the specific things is to keep just reminding you, I am your God. You're going to always want to go to and, 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 and have a Dagon little thing here, and you're going to want to have this little trinket here. He's going to get you good luck. You're going to always want to say, well, good luck. And you're going to, you're going to want to do all these things to kind of hedge your bet, especially in this day and age because there's so much polytheism. That's what they were entrenched in. And so he's trying to just take these myths out of them and say, I want you to be a monotheist. There's one God. There's one true God. One true God. And so all of these things is just to remind you, to remind you, I am your God. So when you want to go and do all these other things, I want to let you remember all the stuff I got you doing is to remind you, I'm the God you want to trust. I'm the God you want to serve. I'm the God who's worthy of your, of your confidence and your passion and your devotion. So I want to propose to you, that's the whole point of the end of the passage, is that, hey, this is to remind Israel that I'm your God and you're my people. You're not, no one else has you. I'm the one. Sometimes we need that, don't we? Sometimes I think we need to be reminded, okay, no other gods. That's what he's doing there. Give up your polytheism, your pantheism, your syncretism, and believe that I'm the only God. Place your full faith in me. Obey my covenant. That's kind of the scream of the text. How many of us need to pause right now and consider that? And consider that. Man, it's hard because we think, well, I don't serve other gods. But man, have you lost your first love? Man, I, man, we hustle. We do so much. This body is such a blessing that I so fear that we get caught up in the mission. That man, people just, are we, man, is our hearts burning for Jesus? Are we having prayer lives? Man, when's the, have you, have you repented deeply before the Lord this week? Have you just spent time just confessing your sin and experiencing God's forgiveness? Have you spent deep time in prayer this week, like on your knees? When's the last time you've just been on your knees? Have you just been on your knees and just, just down before the Lord and just praying and just just thanking God for all that he's done and, and just thinking about the people you need to pray for and has like we're we're hearts this is really all about the heart that's what he's doing this is all to show that that God is doing something in us so that our hearts might be to him that's the goal I don't want to do all this and we, we, we make the building and all that. And man, we keep going through the motions. We build a community and we kind of, we know how to do Christianity, but we're not in, on fire for Jesus. Preaching the gospel, serving and caring for each other and praying for each other and having fun together and like being on fire and enjoying Christ. Let's, we want to be that community, Right? He, uh, two more quick things. He says, 
think one of the implications, uh, I wanted to re- rehash, we talked about the priesthood of believers last week. And I'm going to show how that, that is here as well in the text. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I wanted to clear up, when, uh, just want to clear up some, some theological frameworks of priesthood of believers. Because a lot of times, let me just make sure, when we talk about the priesthood of all believers, what we are saying, the Bible teaches uh, in Peter... Um, I actually teach throughout the Bible, but Peter actually says it expressly that what happens when Jesus uh, dies on the cross and rises from the dead is he says he gives us we are now a royal priesthood of believers, which means that we are all priests, as it were. Uh, this, this actually isn't a new thing. This is an express thing. And what he's trying to express is something that, uh, that, that deals with twofold. First, your relationship, how your, how your external relationship with God, as it were, changed a little bit. It wasn't that people weren't connected to God in the Old Testament, because that wouldn't make any sense, because you wouldn't have any Psalms, right? I mean, David sounded pretty connected to Jesus, right? Uh, so, so I want to make sure we don't have the sense of, like, no one knew God, no one could really talk to God. And that's, that's really theologically irresponsible. But there seems to be a sense where you really look toward the priest to be the representative for you as he went before God. And so now being a royal priesthood of believers is really focused on access. That actually now in Christ, you actually now as a priest can go to God, as it were. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but also, I think the, the next point is the focus in on the ministry, is that now, as a royal priesthood, we now all, we all partake in the ministry of Jesus. Told y'all, we, what we do at Mac is not just some Mac thing. We, we are convinced that the Bible is clear that you and I are, we are ministers of Jesus together. So the question is, what does that mean for you as the people of God. So he, so I, so I think that's laced in the text. And then finally, uh, I want to bring it home back to inadequacy of the priest. See, this is a, this is an attempt uh, to really get past a sense of clericalism, which is like lifting up clergy um, and just reminding us that he's a sinner, that they're sinners too. Right. Um, and this is, this is, this is a respectful conversation to have. I'm going to say, make it quick, and then we're going to head out. Um, this conversation usually leans toward people. When we think about authority, we think, and so I'm going to start here, we think either we're either disrespectful right, or we idolize. And it's hard to balance. It's hard to balance authority, right? Um, and so I want to say here, uh, it's, it's serious to consider, and I bring this up as a, as a church leader, the implications is, is, is that I think it's a clear implication to say how the folly and how disruptive it is to community um, to put your hope in a human being. Okay? Now, here's what I'm saying. Um, you, you, people say stuff like, you know, I became a Christian because of Mac. You know, or, and you know, or, or, we, or we feel good. Somebody says, I feel I'm Christian because of Caleb or, you know, and that's really cool. And they're trying to honor you, but I'm telling you like that, that's not healthy. Pete, and this is not just theological. Here where I'm going here. People become Christians because of Jesus. Okay. Now we water and we, we, we serve, but man, it is so important for us to really centralize people's focus on Jesus, on Jesus. 
not because just, which it should be enough, because the Bible does it, right? Because <laughs> this is the goal. But I want to propose, it just, it just pragmatically, it just does a lot of damage. Here's why. Um, so I don't ever want people saying they came to Jesus because of Mac. We want that. Now, we, 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 we want to serve. We want people to, to honor. We want to care for them. But we want people to, to, to have their adequacy in Christ. Because if not, what, what, what begins to happen when people start to say, and, 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 that's, and that's what you're thinking, we forget that no matter how good a place or a person is, we are, we are inadequate as a people and we are inadequate as a community. Now, stay with me here. Because this happens, you know, this not about, this not a, even an assertion about us. I'm just saying, as I look at church, as I look at Ecclesi, you know, the, the church structure and me being a leader for years, this is one of the reasons why I think there's big back doors in some churches, in, in some churches, guys. Um, because what people really want, they want perfect churches. I, it took me man, it took me some years to, to, to kind of digest that, but I'm convinced we we really want perfect churches, and 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 I say that because I'm amazed at the reason why people leave churches. Right, we the main reason we leave churches because people are broken. That's why we leave churches. Now, I, if, look, if the gospel's not being preached, if the pastor or the leadership isn't retelling the story of Christ's life, which they should be, and which I'm, this is what you're seeing here, is that we are to represent God. I say it's royal priesthood. Like, basically, people are to, they, as a priest, people are to, to see you, and you are representing, as it were, God to people, right? So who are you, rep- like, what are they seeing when they, when they learn about God from you? Um, but they... But then people never get over the fact, I think people never get over the fact that, uh, that churches aren't perfect, you know? And so then all of a sudden, you have these expectations, and man, then a sin or something happens you don't like, or there's a thing that you don't like in the ministry, or, and now you dip. And then you, church, you find yourself church hopping, you know? And, and it's just like, man, um, it's like I... I think our world, and I get it because we're all broken. I think many people want to see us, and I talk about church leaders, be Jesus perfectly. And man, this is not going to happen. And, I, and so I, I want to propose, I think one of the clear implications when you think of the whole focus being of how, how damaged goods are the priest. And how they are in need of cleansing, of atoning, of forgiveness, of, of, of anointing, right? You, you ain't nobody, but I'll anoint you, now you're somebody. That need of all that need that they have speaks something of just not the clericalism then, but even now. And, and guys, I'm convinced. I'll, just, I'll leave it here. When, when, when a person, what I've seen is when a person recognizes that your community is inadequate, right? When you really deeply embrace that and you, and you really embrace that, that Jesus has to be adequate for you, that's when people really flourish and serve. I'm convinced of that's what, that's what I've seen. And real quick, and I've seen this 
this is not even, this is, uh, I think the church is another macrocosm of that. This is marriage, friendship. This, see, the, the story of this reality, I think, is all throughout sociology, to be honest. Is that it's an issue when you, when you and I are able, I think for me and Sarah, I think our, I love my wife and I love our marriage. And I think the last five years, I think we really like, okay, you're going to just always be jacked up. I mean, you know, at a core level, at a core level, I think for the first seven, eight years, I'm like, yeah, but I'll, we'll get that straight. And, you know, hopefully I'll get my stuff straight and we're going one day, dot, dot, dot. And, and I think for the last, I think it's been, I think the, the freedom and the peace has made our house more messy, but my mind is more clean. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like there's so much more peace in my own heart. Jenny, tell you, walk in there, you and trip over a Lego, you know, might be an old bean on the floor. You know what I'm saying? And that's not how I roll. But I realize it's either get, like, you have five kids and not let them be kids. That's, that's violence. I'm sorry. You got kids and you want your house to look like you're 85, you got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem. Let them be kids. And this is from a type A dude. And I'm just so much joy, you know, because I mean, for a while I had that struggle. Like, well, I'll just have the kids play, you know, in their little old dungeon area. And, that, and I get it. Now, I'm not trying to pro- project parental things on you. But I just realized it was like for my growth to be able to learn how do I navigate relationship with my family, my kids, my wife, in a way where I realized you can't satisfy all my needs. You just can't. That God has to be the one who satisfies my needs. And now, man, there's this this freedom in that. Sis? Believe in the best, knowing, or not not going in just thinking, well, how foul are you, right? (laughs) But believe in the best, and then when people disappoint us. I think it's okay. We totally want to give everybody, we start out with an A grade. To me, it's an issue of grace, right? And that's why, to me, the issue of personal repentance, personal, you know, confession is huge in the grace I dispense to others. When I'm really considering my own sin, when I'm really considering the own hurts that I've caused the people, when I'm considering the own, on my own, the relationships that I fractured, when I consider the damage I've done in God's world, it gives me a lot more leadway to, to, to experience other people's brokenness. It's when I haven't been before the throne of God myself and really experienced God looking at me in all of my mess and going, You're all, I love you. See, when I experience that, it's hard to then get up and go, <laughs> I'm awesome, because I just had the Lord pour over me that grace. So I, it starts with per, I would propose that the Bible teaches it starts with personal repentance and a, and a heart of thanksgiving, of, of recognizing, man, look what God has done in my life. Now, I think what we want to have is we want to have a sense of, of we believe the best, but we want to hold each other accountable, right, and, and, and move toward the goals of, of Christ. We want, to, we want this place to be more gospel-centered this year than last year, and next year we want to be more gospel-centered. We want to move on toward the glory of Christ. But man, there, there's something about us all. I think that happens when we admit, hey, we are inadequate. And in that, 
in that, unless there is things that are happening that are detracting away from the gospel, where God isn't exalted, again, if a pastor's not preaching the gospel, if you don't hear Christ being exalted, if you're not seeing your pastors and your elders serving and laying their lives down, if you're seeing them being super absorbent, I'm just keeping it, putting it out there. If you're seeing someone worshiping money, uh, treating their faith, you know, if there's things that are happening where it's not telling the redemptive story of the cross, that's problemsome. So that's why I would tell you, you don't go to a universalist church and there's a preaching the gospel. You don't go to a place where, where money and success and the, the, the witchcraft of, of exercising faith as a, as a tool to get what you need is the focus. You don't go to those churches because those are not gospel-seeking, Christ-exalted places. But places where people are exalting the Lord, and you know what? And then there's this broken people, and people get it wrong sometimes. And <laughs> I, I look at brothers and sisters, and I say, man, well, why? I don't understand. You know, I'm talking to people who are leaving other churches. Well, I don't understand why you're leaving. All you just told me was he's a sinner. All you just told me was she's a sinner. Um, and thanks for that. Thanks for that question, sis. I hope that's helpful. So, so that and the, the goal there, guys, was not to um, just share the, from the text like, oh, yeah, these priests—they're broken. What's the implication? I think the implication is we got to be very weary of idol worship. Let me close us in prayer. Thank you for giving us uh, that much time. Uh, we're going to do a time of uh, next steps. Uh, there's not a the application. I'm sorry, it's kind of rough. There's a lot there. I don't have a clear application today. Um, if you can wrestle with this in your MAG groups, that would be wonderful. Uh, if you're not in a MAG group, uh, I would love for you to be able to wrestle with the text, and I would love to challenge you to, to join uh, our local community in discipleship uh, and lock arms with us as we fight the fight of faith here. Uh, that would be great. Uh, we're doing our time of tithe and communion.